1: Glendis McNichol is the co-founder of The List, uh, li.st. Her work has appeared online and in print for publications including L.com, The New York Times, The Guardian, Forbes, The Cut, Daily News, W, Town & Country, Daily Beast, Capital New York, everywhere. Uh, (laughs) She's the winner of a Contently Award and the co-author with Hello Flow founder Nanma Bloom of There Will Be Blood, A Guide to Puberty. Um, She... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, she's in conversation with Anne Friedman. and is a columnist for New York Magazine and the Los Angeles Times and a contributing editor to The Gentlewoman. She co-hosts the podcast Call Your Girlfriend and sends a popular weekly email newsletter. Um, we're here tonight to celebrate No One Tells You This, Glimmer's memoir chronicling her 40th year and its intended anxieties. Melissa um, Mastermonico, author of Who Thought This Was a Good Idea, has called the book Honest, Hilarious, and Raw. Her voice literally jumps off the page and becomes your friend, sister caretaker, ass kicker. And Jessica Bennett, author of Feminist Fight Club, has said, Glynis lays bare the complexity of being a woman on her own in the world in all its heartbreak, humor, and yes, joy. Please help me give a warm welcome to Glynis McNichol and Ann Friedman.
2: Uh, We're wearing the unofficial uniform of No One Tells You This, a flowing (laughs) garment and a red lip. All the way to go. When Glynis starts her cult, this is what we will all wear. Um, Cat
0: stands for everyone. Uh, Do you want to read first? Um, Okay. I
2: would love
0: that. Very short. No fear, everyone. I was hating off this way too long. Um, (laughs) Thank you, first of all, everyone, for coming. It's really I know it's, it's busy lives. It's a Sunday in July, and I really appreciate everyone showing up here. Um, as, as we said uh, the book is a memoir of my 40th year I approached the age of 40 with a certain amount of dread um, turned 40 and discovered it was exactly the opposite of everything I'd been led to believe both in amazing ways and in difficult ways I spent the year complaining that there was no good stories about women of a certain age or really any stories that didn't end with marriage or children and A few weeks before I turned 41, it occurred to me that I am a full-time writer, and perhaps I have (laughs) the material to write my own story. A little Oprah aha moment. Um, So I'm going to read two short passages. The first is from the beginning of the book, um, just the hours leading up to my 40th birthday. Eight hours before my 40th birthday, I sat alone at my desk on the 17th floor of an office building in downtown Manhattan unable to shake the conviction that midnight was hanging over me like a guillotine. I was certain that come the stroke of twelve, my life would be cleaved in two, a before and an after. All that was good and interesting about me, that made me a person worthy of attention, considered by the world to be full of potential, would be stripped away and whatever remained would be thrust unrecognizable into the void that awaited. It was ridiculous. Deep down I knew it was ridiculous. However, knowing this did not keep me from anxiously glancing at the clock out in the hallway as if the hands on it were actual blades. I thought of my mother, of course. Whether or not we actually resemble the image we see, our mothers are our first and most lasting reflection of ourselves, a mirror we gaze into from birth until death. I was eight when my mother turned 40. And sensed an abandon all hope, ye who enter here, message woven into the colorful birthday cards that arrived in the mail for her. As if simply by turning 40, my mother had somehow failed at something. And now here I was, so many years later, about to turn 40 myself, gripped by those identical fears, despite all my determination to be otherwise. Eight year old me would have been revolted. I pulled out my phone, automatically angled my head in a well-practiced tilt, and took a selfie. (laughs) Wait, is that really the one? That's not the selfie, but that's not had a long legacy. (laughs) Um, I was aware that to the outside world, I could not have appeared less like a woman who should be worried about her age, less like someone who was now spending the last hours before her birthday, seized by the belief she was being marched to her demise. In all likelihood, even my friends would have been surprised to hear it. I was not known as a person who tended to cower. I was a person who kept going, who took care of things, who always had the answer, who rarely asked for help. I knew what I wanted and what I liked, which is probably why most of my friends had taken me at my word when I said I didn't want a birthday party. I'd spent much of the year being the good daughter, the good sister, the good friend. My mother had been diagnosed with Parkinson's not that long ago, and the speed of its progression had left us breathless. My sister was home with two small children and a third on the way. I'd been the emergency contact for more than a few of my friends whose marriages were imploding, who suffered family tragedies. Far from spending the summer panicking about my age, I hadn't said occasionally wondered whether the world was conspiring to do me a very cruel favor. It sometimes felt as though so many of the things a single childless woman on the eve of her 40s is supposed to be most fearful of never having attained. The right guy, the happy marriage, the babies, but not dying alone, had been lined up for my inspection and then, one by one, unveiled to reveal the worst-case scenario. It wasn't that I was missing out on happy endings. There were no happy endings. Still, it was a truth universally acknowledged, gleaned from stacks of literature, countless movies, and decades of magazine purchases I'd made, that by age 40, I was supposed to have a certain kind of life, one that, whatever else it might involve, included a partner and babies. Having acquired neither of these, It was nearly impossible, no matter how smart, educated, or lucky I was, not to conclude that I had officially become the wrong answer to the question of what made a woman's life worth living. If this story wasn't going to end with a marriage or child, what then? Could it even be called a story? Spoiler, the answer is
2: Okay.
0: And I'm just going to jump ahead in the book to later in the year and take us all out of America for a few minutes. Um, A friend of mine was the deputy editor of a large travel website and she assigned me a story to take a cruise through the south of France and then write about it. Um, (laughs) um, This begins with me just landing in France essentially. A few days later, I was once again catapulted out of my life and across the ocean, and within hours of exiting the plane in Marseille, I found myself on the balcony of my gilded stateroom, overlooking the flowing Rome River. When I leaned out the window to take a selfie against the scenery, it looked like I'd photoshopped myself into a Van Gogh painting. Everything was decadent, from the light to the trees lining the water's edge, to the cheese that oozed out of the ch- on the china plates in the dining room. Before coming on this trip, I'd make jokes about the senior citizen's cruise I was embarking on. As it turned out, I was the youngest on board by about 20 years. But sitting here, rolling French vineyards visible through the windows, I was deeply struck by how those, these privileged men and women had seemingly excelled at later life. This was the lifestyle we were all encouraged to save up for. The reward. With my mother, I had seen the worst-case version of what we imagined growing old to be. Here, I was observing the best case. The difference was striking, especially coming back to back. In the mornings, I watched as the women served careful portions of soft-boiled eggs and buttered toast to their husbands, while both sat in habitual silence. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps that's what marriage became eventually, (laughs) one long ritual of performed habits. Over dinner one night, I was invited to join a table of two couples. My solitariness stood out nearly as much as my age in this group. And since arriving, I'd been on the receiving end of many curious stares, as if my being alone made them uncomfortable. I picked up my plate and plunked down in the chair they pulled up for me. It soon became clear they didn't know each other either. And as the first course arrived, dinner was at least four courses, they began well-honed introductory stories about themselves. The couple on my left had met his children in Afghanistan more than 40 years ago. They'd had a clandestine relationship that continued into their teens, Afterwards, they'd managed to stay in touch when he was temporarily jailed during college for participating in protests. He wrote me these notes on toilet paper, the wife said, placing her hand over his and smiling at me, and then stuffed them into his pockets where his mother would retrieve them when she came to pick up the laundry." An anecdote that always fascinates me, you're allowed to have your laundry done by your mother in jail. (laughs) 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 After her family immigrated to Germany in the late 70s, they lost touch. A few years later, shortly after he was released from jail, he traveled to visit family in Germany. The very first person he ran into at the airport was her cousin. Inquiring after her whereabouts, he quickly traveled to meet her. Two years later, they were married and immigrated to California. 30 years and still we go strong, the husband said, smiling proudly. The couple on the other side of me were two women, Judy and Joan, celebrating their sixth wedding anniversary and their 65th birthdays. At first glance, I pegged them for a pair that had been together for decades, but I couldn't have been more wrong. We met on Match.com, Judy told me. <laughs> Judy reminded me of B. Arthur, tall and stooping with a deep, commanding voice that suggested she was not in the habit of suffering the opinions of others. My husband had died in a fire a few years before. Her breath caught with emotion, and the second I met her, I knew Joan was the one. Joan looked like an older, heavier, taller version of Blanche Devereaux. I'd seen her being helped on board earlier, navigating the walkway with two canes. Same for me, said Joan. i have been divorced for five years, but I knew. My husband walked me down the aisle. So much for thinking I had these people or anything else pegged. I could practically hear Katherine Hepburn's sharp voice ring out from the Philadelphia story. The time to make up your mind about people is never. I always wish I could do a good Katherine Hepburn I'm passionate about that one. Not, not yet. Here I thought were the stories that made marriage seem like a good idea. Something to be pursued and something that could be sustained advertisements for marriage. Eventually, talk turned to me and I explained I was on board to write a story for a travel site. Do you ever come to California? Asked the man. I'd like you to meet my son. He's very smart and very handsome, but he needs to meet a good woman. I laughed. I'm sure he's too young for me, I said. The man shook his head emphatically. Oh no, he's 28. (laughs) I paused, but only briefly. I was learning to get a kick out of the response some people had to my actual age. I'm forty, I said, and waited. The round of gasps and raised eyebrows I anticipated <laughs> to disappoint. <the> <laughs> After demanding I reveal what year i have been born, the man leaned back in his chair and looked at me with raised eyebrows. And you are not married? I'm not, I said, only realizing afterward the question had been entirely drained of its sting. Then again, perhaps it's hard to be stung when you have just stuffed yourself with a pound of stinky gooey cheese and followed it up with a bowl of chocolate mousse. His wife leaned forward. She'd been pleasant and smiling throughout the meal, but now sounded a bit alarmed. Oh, but I hope you're not ruling out marriage entirely. (laughs) I looked around at all the wealth and security and pleasantness, and then back at this couple who had survived so much, and to the two women who'd found each other so late in life, and I wondered at the idea that anyone could rule out anything other than death. I assured her I wasn't ruling anything out, and then grinned. But at this point, it would take a lot of convincing. One of the reasons I was on this boat, after all, was because I never had to check in with anyone when I wanted to do something.
2: So I'm curious if you uh, kept track, um, maybe even before you knew that this was a book you wanted to write, of those sorts of extremely irritating things that people said to you (laughs) when they found out basic information about you and who you are?
0: (laughs) Yes and no. I didn't keep, I've been keeping a journal since I was a kid and that year was so overwhelming for a lot of reasons I talk about in the book having to do with my mother being ill that I didn't actually keep a good journal that year. It's just that uh, interactions like that were so common Mm -hmm that I had to pick which I thought was the best one and put it in the book. And then that has continued to happen since then. So it's almost like you can anticipate the conversation that's about to come because you've experienced it enough times that you're like, and no, I'm not married, and this. But I didn't actually keep a list. Did you ever think
2: about preempting it? Now you can be like, and no, I'm not. <laughs> Purchase <laughs> my... <Yeah. laughs> uh, here's the link. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. here's the I'll lunch. let you know at the end of this book, too, or how this goes. <laughs>
2: Yeah, because I think that there is, um, in in the kind of first part that you read, this idea that um, the world has expectations that they place on, I mean, everybody, but in your case, a, like, you know, a heterosexual woman who's, like, of a certain demo, you know, whatever. Like, you, you were very aware of, like, what the kind of supposed tos were, um, and was that, like, something you pictured as a kid? You were like, oh, when I'm in my 40s or when I'm an adult, I will... Like, did that was that
0: specific I think the answer is I had a general like I generally just expected that I would probably be married and have kids but I know women who pursued that like that was really how they envisioned their life specifically and I envisioned my life specifically in New York City and the rest of, the rest of it was sort of like a general sort of shadowy sense of I'll probably get married I'll probably have kids and I was I worked very hard at my career during my thirties and so a lot of this sort of caught up with me right at the tail end of my thirties where you have this where I had this moment of like if and it's particularly around children obviously where I just uh had this moment of like if you want children you really gotta like look at that in the face and say is this something you want because you need to then start pursuing it pretty quickly or be okay with it not happening so up until that point I think it was like a, a sort of a back burner Idea and this general awareness that this is how I was supposed to be living, which is sort of reflected back at all of us every time you walk into a magazine store or you go to the movies. And, you know, like it's sort of everywhere. But,
2: but you didn't like feel it in your core in some way.
0: Like, I don't think so. My editor asked me that all during the editing process of this book. She's like, Was there a moment where you knew you weren't going to get the thing you always wanted? And I was like, I don't know if I always wanted it. I think that was the thing, is I had to really look at that question and answer it for myself because I didn't want to. That, like sort of slide into this version of my life without making sure I very much wanted to be there. Right. Yeah. And and you know you you also mentioned in that first passage that a lot of the people
2: who are dear to you during this 40th year mm-hmm. had like like really difficult time a really difficult time with things that were supposed to be like a I'm air quoting hard yeah. like happy endings yeah. setup. And so I'm. I'm curious about like those people in your life okay. and the conversations that you had with them, particularly while you were working on this book mm-hmm. about like feeling great about the path that you were on and whether they kind of felt like they were being used as a foil or I don't know.
0: A couple of them are here, so <laughs> <laughs> um, I think inevitably, and particularly, well, maybe not particularly. I. I think we all look to our left and our right and measure our choices by the ones our friends are making. I think that is why uh, if all of your friends get married it can feel like this overwhelming experience or everybody's having children but you it can feel overwhelming because it's just how the, you know your world shapes itself around you and it becomes a measuring stick of where you are or where you aren't. Um, I gave this book to all of my friends who are in it and said, Tell me if you want your names changed or anything taken out. Like I wanted everyone to be very comfortable with uh, how they were being portrayed, and I'm, I have a very transparent relationships with my friends. I think they all knew, like, what I was struggling with and what I was thinking, uh, and they all signed off. So <laughs> I think you're okay with it. But um, I think the interesting thing. I wrote this article for the New York Times last weekend about nobody believing I'm happy, and that. It, <laughs> and <laughs> And in the editing process of that was removed a line where I make the point that no one who actually knows me thinks this, and so I got all these strange emails from people being like, you need new friends. And I was like, I do not need new friends. <laughs> I very, those are the only emails I felt, I didn't respond, but I felt very compelled to be like, that's not what that article was about. Um, so I think I'm very fortunate that I do have a friendship circle. I've had many, many of my friends for decades, and we've all known each other through so many iterations. Uh, but I met a woman at a reading the other night, she's in her 20s, and she walked up to me and she just said, how can I get friends like yours who are supportive? I know I had the exact reaction. <laughs> I said, I don't, I don't know, but I think maybe you need to change up the ones you have if they're making you feel bad. But I have certainly had friends in my life who've had that experience with their college friends or whoever it is that they're made to feel bad about their life choices. I've never been made to feel bad about my life choices by my friends, ever. So I think I'm very lucky in that. A lot of this was... A lot of this was me struggling to figure out what the narrative, we, I talk about this a lot in the book and we've talked about it, the sense of like, there's no blueprint for what this looks like because we don't really have a narrative, but very narrow narratives around women's experiences. And so I was really struggling to figure out like what does my life look like from here on out and how do I measure it? Like there's very little ritual around women's lives after a certain point and that just felt very overwhelming.
2: Were there examples that you did look to, like um, people or like communities who you felt were like reflecting the kind of values that you saw in your own life?
1: No,
0: and that's, the thing is that everybody, when I talk about this, people always say, well, I have an aunt that did this, or my grandmother's sister, or like, here's this woman. And I appreciate that I'm far from the first person. I mean, like, that women have not married and not had children and lived fulfilling lives has clearly occurred before this moment, <laughs> but I think what I felt the lack of was like like an overarching narrative that we really take for granted when you fit into it, and when it's not there, the results for me were very suffocating, and for other people, when narratives around people's lives and the complications of it don't exist can be deadly, I think, but, so no, I really struggled to find someone that I could be like, and I, w- I would piecemeal it out, like, there was parts of the movie Auntie Mame where she's like in her beak when placed duplex and I'd be like, that's it, that's what I want. But of course she gets married at the end of that movie and there'd be part, you know, like it always, there's always, we don't, we're so uncomfortable not tying women up at the end. There was really no, and obviously Auntie Mame, I mean Auntie Maine was really great, but still, it's like one person from one movie in like 1960 something, I think. So,
2: right. yeah. yeah. And even she doesn't like get like the full, complete arc no. of that story because she's not an oil baron, right? Like, I was just about to say. I'm not saying I'm
0: not willing to entertain that, but I mean, like, I really, really, and every, you know, like, even the uh, Cheryl Strade's Wild was such an important book for me, but I always think it's interesting in a book that's like 300 pages of a woman on the road by herself in the wilderness. Slide in that line at the end where it says, and however many years from now I've married my husband and brought my children back here, and I'm like, man, I bet there was a lot of pressure to include that line. And I'm, even if and obviously it's true, and I think that's wonderful, but I would have really loved that book to not include that line at the end. Right. If it was like, and I came back right. 15 years later, I felt awesome. Yeah, exactly. life, like, <laughs> yeah the, just yeah. left it. And you know if she'd done that, the top search like Google search for her would have been Cheryl Stray husband. You know, like, people would have wanted to know, because we really, I think, have a hard time, I I include myself in this, this, just untethering ourselves from that sense of completion when it comes to women's lives, so. Right. Um,
2: I mean, I know some of the answers to this question because I've read the book, but I'm wondering if you (laughs) can talk a bit about um, that sense of completion or fulfillment that you feel now and, like, how that shows up in the book.
0: So, I think one thing is, it's it's a, such a I think it's as damaging to women who get married with the idea that that's the, like the final solution. <laughs> and, like everything after the marriage, after the wedding is going to be like wonderful, or like the baby arrives and everything is solved. And one of the things I was really I live in New York and and I think. I imagine it's the same in Los Angeles, women get married much later and have their children much later. So as I approached 40, I was having friends that were only a year or two or a few years into their marriage and had very young children. So all around me were a lot of women grappling with the fact that it was really messy and complicated and difficult and not like a solution to anything. So, again, newsflash. (laughs) But I think that's also really difficult for women who are married with children because that probably doesn't get talked about quite enough either. Um, I think I still struggle with this. There's not a solution to this book because there's not really a solution. There's, I think a, a lot of the book, which I wrote in one sitting and it was very painful to write so I haven't actually reread it since, but uh, I say like, there's no happy endings, there's just good editing and that's not cynical. <laughs> it's just like the only ending is death. Like that's the ending, and then then there's nothing else. But up until then, there's like it's like I don't look at it like there's waves of of like extraordinary happiness, hopefully, and then there's waves of extraordinary difficulty, and like you sail from one to the other as you go until you are dead. And <laughs> so I have found one of the ways I think one of the biggest biggest struggles in my life. I continue to struggle with this. Is a real. Uh, a, Lack of a blueprint, lack of ritual, essentially. Like there's no way to mark my life in a very widely recognized way. Writing a book is one of them, but like, what do you do when you're not a person that writes a book about your life, but then puts your face on the cover of it? Like, uh, so I think one of the things I felt is that travel is something I get enormous satisfaction out of, and it, in many very literal ways, it involves like a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like it gives that whole arc to your life where you just leave, you go somewhere, and you come back. And I do wonder if there's some connection between we see all these stories about single women traveling and women traveling in general, like it's a real an automatic sense of purpose. And I and I also like to be on the move, so I really enjoy it. But I also think part of this book was about me looking in the face a lot of things i sort of internalized or things that I was supposed to be ashamed of. I think there's this weird thing when I turned 40, like I was ashamed of myself for turning 40. (laughs) Shame on you for being healthy and 40, (laughs) you know, and I, some people speak, some people just read the book, talk to me as if I'm still sort of in that place. I'm so far away from it. I feel really just absolutely released from any of those feelings. I feel like, I feel powerful, actually, is the word I keep coming back to. Not just even, like, great or excited. Like, I just feel powerful. Like, i so certain of who I am and so disinterested in opinions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, one of the things I really love about this book is the way you talk about how... I'm actually just going to read your line because I was trying to paraphrase, and obviously you did it better, but... Um, you write, we're always drawn to the clearest articulation of what we think we lack. And that obviously happens really easily on like the internet where people are projecting a clear articulation of what they think is great about what's happening Mm -hmm. with them. But it also happens just in life, like the people we're surrounded with, like the media we consume, and- um, The celebrities we are obsessed with So, like, yeah. Yeah, and you've written, I mean, you've touched on this a little bit earlier, um, and you've written about this with regard to like your apartment, Mm -hmm. Uh, but- but everyone is kind of someone's version of the yeah. what they're what they're missing out, and um, and I'm curious about whether you how you feel about stepping into this role as like a, a certain articulation, yeah. a certain type of life or
0: path. I the book only published five days ago, so this is all very new. But I'm starting to feel it. To work through it right now. <laughs> in <real time>? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the answer is I try to be. I hope to be, and I certainly try to be in the book, like very clear about the messiness of this. Like as I was writing the book, I started writing the book almost immediately after <clears throat> that year ended, and I was not a writing teacher that said you'd always wait five years until you write something. And in the writing of this book, I kept thinking like if I was writing about being 23 years old, it would be such a, like a I would be so able to articulate all the things I was feeling, it would make, probably make for a much cleaner. Uh, more enjoyable story and then I thought I'm really attracted to stories that capture like a certain messiness of being a woman because it's so rare like the top of the lake part season two is bananas and I love it <laughs> like, but I really I was hoping to capture that in a little way so it would just be like there's some parts about my life that are great which I think single women especially single women over 40 never get credited with having anything enjoyable which ties back to this like you could never possibly be happy and there's parts of my life that are so difficult that you also don't get recognized for because it's so easy to slip into being an object of pity and so I really wanted to be like here's it all, Like this is all, this isn't a solution, I do have a great apartment (laughs) which came up and all the letters I got from men after that New York Times piece are like an apartment's not a baby it's not going to make you happy and I was like I'm willing to risk it like (laughs) um, (laughs) um, it does and it doesn't it's not something it's just like especially in New York where real estate is such like the, the preeminent way it's just I really wanted to be like and also tie back to that a room of one's own, like a woman having a home that she likes that's not like something she settled for but that she chose, which is satisfying, uh, I thought was really important. But to answer your question, my life is far from it's just enjoyable, like it's as enjoyable as anyone else's and as difficult. And I would hate for the takeaway from this book to be like it's making someone feel bad about any choices they've made in their life because. I was made to feel bad just in general, and I certainly would just be so disappointed if that was any version of the takeaway. I mostly just wanted to. I thought of this book as like I went off into the land of forty that I didn't know. I didn't. There was sort of no map for, and I got out there and thought, well, oh, this is pretty great and also not expected. So here's my dispatch. Like this is what I found. Maybe you're interested from the front line. From the front line.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you are a reporter, right? So right. And yeah. Exactly. Um, I am going to let everyone ask some questions in a minute. Let's do a time check. I didn't even bring my phone. so in this moment with you.
0: It is yeah. 5.40, everyone.
2: Great. Um, I, I'm going to ask you one more, and then so be thinking of your many questions. Um, <laughs> ask
0: and, me anything. Right. right. Probably most of it's here.
2: <laughs> and I, I think that um, one of the tough things about setting out to write this memoir specifically because you didn't see a lot of stories like this mm-hmm. is then feeling like, you maybe have to be a stand-in for too many types of, like literally every woman who is not partnered and does not have children. I mean, that is a huge swath of the world. And um, I would love to hear you talk a bit about the section of your book where you are on a road trip at the same time that you are um, listening to the news about Sandra Bland and just like a little bit about how um, you grapple with questions of, privilege mm-hmm. in this book because for me I think that is one of the toughest things about memoir like I understand someone is telling their
0: personal story but mm-hmm. at the same time like we want to acknowledge that this is a whole world happening yeah so I think there's a, a couple of uh, answers to that one is that I we have so few stories about women truly even though we like to be told like oh, there's too many personal essays or like here's a shop chi like on the in the library of history there's like half of a shop devoted to books by women and like like a cavern of stories by men, so I think what happens is when one woman comes out with her own story, the unfortunate repercussion is that some of the you're there's a sense of like you're speaking for all women. I'm so not speaking for all women, but also I understand that I got some response to that Times piece saying like I wish you'd written that, I wish you'd left out the part that you like all of your friends' children because it's possible to be happy without any kids in your life. And I'm like. Can't speak for the I get it. I get the frustration of not seeing yourself when you're not allowed to see yourself in so many things. The question of privilege was one I thought a lot about. I don't... Sometimes I worry that that conversation is used to tell people to shut up, essentially. And I think that any... Especially, particularly women and uh, minorities and underrepresented groups, the answer to any... Problem is not to stop talking. You know, sometimes the answer is to listen more. Um, The section that Anne was talking about was when I went. I went for a road trip three years ago. Right now, actually, I think Sandra Bland's anniversary of her death was two days ago. Um, And I have driven across the country many, many times. It's one of my favorite things to do for like 20 years. And my friend Joe and I. We're driving her across the country. She was getting married and meeting her fiancé, and I would joke that I, instead of walking her down the aisle, it was like driving her across the <laughs> interstate. <laughs> but we left just as uh, two days after Sandra Bland died, and so the news was very much us on the road, two women. Joe's going off to get married. I just sold the There the Will Be Blood book that they mentioned earlier, and this sense of, like, exhilaration and excitement, and we were accompanied along the road with the uh, reports of Sandra Bland, and I just... I was so aware, and I've been made aware of this many times on the road, everyone should drive across America it's experience, but of how differently the stories around my life as a white woman in this country affect how I'm treated and how differently Sandra Bland was treated for no other reason than the color of her skin and, and that the narrative, when I say the narrative I found narratives around women's experience suffocating and how narratives around the experience of other people can be deadly, that's the prime example of that, I would never be stopped for not having a, a, a like, and I was, and I, I am technically, I'm not technically, I am Canadian, <laughs> so I'm technically, I'm technically an immigrant. Although I, I, my experience as an immigrant, I've seen people uh, tweeting about that today, is so wildly different than, than anyone else's because I'm white because I have no accent. I grew up in American television, and so I'm always. But I do cross the border every six weeks, and I'm always very aware of how differently I am treated at JFK Customs or wherever else I am than I would be otherwise. And so often, when I think of privilege, I think of it as a that like your job in is to sort of if you're in a space to look around and figure out who's not there, <laughs> number one, figure out why they're not there and figure out how to bring them there and then hand the microphone over. That if there's, like, if this, one of my hopes with this book is that it maybe cracks open the understanding that women are so hungry for stories that have, that depart from the usual narrative. And we're seeing so many examples of that this year. Like, there's so many wonderful books that are all coming out to reflect a diversity of experience. I just want more, and we talked about this on the podcast, like, more and more and more and more. It's like, you want more and more, and, and... to hopefully support that in any way possible. Does that answer your question?
2: It does, yeah. And and for what it's worth, I um I thought that section was really great. Not not that you're like needing my like review. Um but one of the reasons why I loved it is because it was something that you were you were grappling with in real time, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it makes sense in the scope of the memoir. It wasn't like you in an armchair years later being like, oh, I should have thought about that. Like, you know, it, right. it makes sense in yeah. the narrative of your 40th year. I mean, so.
0: literally, how do you move through the world and how, yeah. who you are affects how you're able to move through the world. I was literally moving across the country, like, as a white woman. and we have you know, limited narratives around any woman on the road, but uh, the narratives of people of color on the road in this country are fairly limited to slave narratives and that, or crime, or like none of that is, the reality is very different from what we're told and how deadly that is, and it just was so apparent because it was like we were both on the road together.
1: Something to
0: think about? Um, I'm sure many of you have questions.
2: Yeah, <laughs> a few. Now would be a good time to put your hand up. I have so many I haven't gotten to, so I'll I'll just jump in if no one has one. Hit me,
0: everyone. I haven't fully thought it out, but I am a teacher and work with young kids all the time, and I'm stuck on this idea. You talked about how pervasive the narrative is Mm -hmm. of the nuclear family getting married kids, and like, do we? How do we make other narratives more okay? Or just like that, kids can see that for themselves. Um, I think the the question it's always good to ask yourself is like who's benefiting from what's out there, and it's you know the answer is often white men are. And when you have more people making decisions uh, who've lived a diverse experience, I think the hope is that you see. My book is in the world because my editor was turning 40 and a single woman the exact same time as me and fought for this book literally uh, from day one and her boss at Simon & Schuster thought very highly of her and said, well, that seems a little crazy but okay let's go for it. Like that was really that's how this book's seen the light of day and I think that is tr- I'm not saying people can't use their imagination but I think again when you show something can make money or that there's an audience we see more. I do think I sometimes it's sort of joking, it's sort of not like the narratives when people ask me like who are my heroes or what narratives do I look at they were all books I read as kids like the Laura Ingalls books just factored huge into my life but you know so did Harriet the Spy and so did Nancy Drew and, but all those books essentially stop like when a girl gets married or gets her period it's like they're, they're, her lack of agency comes with puberty and so to be a 40 year old woman and saying wow the book I still really relate to is Little House on the Prairie is like very problematic <laughs> <laughs> on a number of levels, but but like uh, I, that to me is is uh, says something. But yeah, I, who's making the decisions? I just we talk about this all the time. We talk about this with Hollywood too. Like who's making the decisions about what stories get made, and how do we suffer when the only people making those decisions look to see their own experiences? I did a podcast yesterday, um, the Long Reads podcast, and with Don Natta and it's I love his newsletter and I love the podcast. But he did ask me. He said people have said that this um, book passes the bedshell test, which is, you know, two women having a conversation with each other that has nothing to do with men. And he said, did you set out to, to make a book like that? And I said, I set out to, to write a book that reflected reality, and most conversations I have with women have nothing to do with men. Like, And, and it really was revealing, though, because I thought... if." how would people know that based on what we see at the movies that so few of our conversations really have anything to do with men? Well, right now they do, but not in that way. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> like, like, wouldn't it be fun to have like a five-year period where the only people making decisions were, you know, the... Uh, People of color and women and underrepresented groups and just see what the result of that was. We're edging towards that in certain ways, which I find really interesting and encouraging and fascinating. But I would just like to see it more comprehensively, you know, exercised. I'm curious, you mentioned about rituals mm-hmm. and how do you think it's specifically
1: different for women versus men?
0: the interesting thing is I haven't thought a lot about the experience of men a couple people (laughs) (laughs) somebody said did you think about men when you were writing this book and I was like no not really Um, I think women there's a lot of ritual around women's lives up until they have a kid and then you're on a blueprint and the ritual is around the child when when you step away from marriage or children there's very little afterwards to even like used to reflect progression in your life, which just goes back to my mentioning travel, like we have rituals to celebrate but also to just like acknowledge your existence and so when you're living without any of that, how do you acknowledge your place in the world or the importance of it there's no Mother's Day, there's no you know, like there's, there's, there's nothing and I don't know that we understand how damaging, like I don't think I thought about how damaging that would be until it became a place of like how do, how do we celebrate me? There's that Sex and the City episode, the shoes, yeah. everybody all oh, knows I'm talking about like, your right to shoes where she says, I'm gonna have a baby shower and everyone has to bring me shoes. Like That was one, I think, way to get at what's lacking. And I also think this whole conversation around self-care, even though it's mocked, like, that's another way that women are trying to recognize their own lives outside the role of you know the traditional narrative. I don't know what the answer to it is yet. I think we're going to, you know, Amina and I did a reading at a book event in New York a few days ago and she said, because someone asked a similar question, and she said she wanted the government to give every single woman at age 30 money. Yes. <laughs> like a package would arrive in the mail and be like, congratulations, yes. here's $30,000. <laughs> yeah, it does sound good. It sounds, I take money as a ritual and <laughs> I don't know how it affects men. I, I think men are celebrated professionally in much different ways, and um, you don't need me to tell you that, but uh, so, I don't know. I, I don't know how, but I do know that it is very difficult as a woman to just be outside of that. I think, And I do have noticed that my friends have, on Mother's Day started shifting their Happy Mother's Day messages to like, Happy Mother's Day, and to my something into my friend that does this, so I'm seeing like small, more recognition of the roles women play in their friends' lives in terms of you know support systems and stuff. But like FYI hallmark, get on that. I, don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was wondering how much you think like people super personal questions about your private life or fertility, especially coming from people with more conservative choices, mm-hmm. have to do with that. How much does that have to do with their projections? Um, and I'm sure you and did. their choices and their choices for sure. And, like, you know, I, yeah, I think uh, so often when someone has a problem with the way you're living your life, it has very little to do with the way you're living your life, and a, and a great deal to do with the level of comfort they have about the way they're living theirs. Um, I think there's another level to that where there's a certain segment of the voting female population, like 53% of them that maybe have uh, benefited from a certain a patriarchal structure that uh, an interrogation of that is very uncomfortable and it's easier to say, you can possibly be happy, because if you are happy, what does that say about the choices I've made that were supposed to make me happy? I rarely encounter that from women my own age, but I have definitely encountered that response from women 10 to 15 years older than me, a lot. Um, I think it's just easier to be angry at someone else than it is to really question like what you've done and why you've done it. And I've certainly fallen into that trap myself. I'm done I'm, I'm not immune to it. I'm curious sure um, kind of on that point, how you decide um, how to respond to someone who might be
2: conservative and judging you. Um, I imagine you get
0: that a lot and sometimes it's like, okay, I'm gonna sit here, this is gonna be a moment where I say, I'm single, I'm happy. I'm not divorced, I'm not gay, I'm not, you know, whatever you might think of me, um, versus just kind of moving along. Like, this is not a conversation I'm going to win, so I'm just going to say, oh, my boyfriend's busy or whatever. Like, do you, when do you take the time to kind of get into things move along? I've lost, I don't, I no longer feel the need to defend my own life. Uh, And so a lot of times I approach that with some level of sympathy, more like, (laughs) Like what's happening in your life? If I have the time to ask that question, <laughs> um, so I live in New York and I don't get a I don't get that a ton. I have definitely got it in my email recently, and I don't answer those emails. I mean, why would I use my energy? I don't feel the need to defend my life. I really don't, and I'm sure that is partly the result of having written this book. Like I really exercised a lot of my own. Doubts and just put it out there, but like now it's out there, and I'm kind of like, you know, this is not my problem. There are other bigger problems that that's also in this moment to release the book, but there's a lot happening right now that deserves a lot of attention. So part of me is just like, you're that you can't see a joyful experience in me. It makes me. Sorry for you, like like. Well, how do you experience joy then? Or how do you have empathy? And how do you operate in a world with that lack of empathy or really imagination? So I, but I'm also on the other side of this. And so I would just say, I remember feeling those things. Like, I mean, I really do remember the intensity of that. And also resenting that, hating, hearing myself feel defensive. I hated, I hated feeling like I was being defensive because then it made it me sound less believable. I'm very good at not answering people when they talk to me, they do no, have to study. <laughs> I waited at tables for a long time. <laughs> I mean, I can be like just not have not answer and end up making someone else uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah, there's no there's no like I don't have like a quick response, but I will say as I've gotten older I tend to think that something's up with them and maybe they want to tell me about it and if I feel like I have the time to listen, maybe I will. Um good time for
2: one. Oh more.
0: Okay. fair?
2: I don't want you to feel defensive. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you're very happy in it and I can
0: see that I I think happy is a really trouble problematic word around like like I feel like fulfilled and like have that I've been having a rich life. That's maybe a better way to to describe it. No, I just mean, I think happy is like a. a, a, a it's complicated. It's, yeah, yes. Are, I know. Happy suggests that there's like a solution and it checks I checked it off I and I'm over here. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Right. But I had been single mm-hmm. at 40, and, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I've had a couple of great careers. It's, it's fantastic. Um, but could you see yourself. Life is very interesting,
2: especially for an intellectual. Mm-hmm. Could you ever see yourself having so much fun and having fulfilled yourself in this wonderful world of literature, and then decide, gee, wouldn't it be nice to raise a kid? Mm-hmm. C- could you foresee?
0: I mean, as I, as as I said that in that, in your mind, yeah.
2: Could you foresee that? that
0: might be, as well, a really neat book. I mean, I hope the takeaway from this book, if you read it, since there's a lot of chapters devoted to the children in my life, would never be that children aren't fulfilling. Like I would, that I find that to be an impossible takeaway from this book, but um, I also, I, I, I really wonderful mother, right? to teach a child. Yeah, I'm a wonderful aunt right now though, too. Like and as somebody that didn't have those figures in my life, I'm very I feel very privileged to play that role in the lives of the children around me because I lacked them. But I also really discourage people from thinking about their lives as like oh, making decisions against something I might one day regret not doing. Like can I foresee being satisfied by having children? Sure. I say this in the book. I said this when I wrote an article about it, too. I think the way we phrase, like, I don't want children. That's true of some women, absolutely. But, like, it was more a question, I was like, am I going to be okay without children, or do I want them badly enough that I need to make that the number one goal in my life right now? And the answer was, I'll be okay if I don't have children. And it's a much more complicated question than that. And, And this idea of... And again, it, the book is only about for a few days, but the idea that my life is, it's, it's obviously very possible to have a fulfilled life with no children in it. My life is enriched enormously by ch- the children I have in it. Um, like it's possible to, to have both. And it, it looks very different than anything we're ever taught. And that to me was disrespectful. The idea that my life can't be enriched by children and I don't play an important role as I am is disrespectful to the importance of the role I play in the lives of those around me and I just really wanted to say this is what it's like and so that we can just recognize that part of this is not being recognized and I think many women, almost all women deal with that at a certain point there's a factor of invisibility but I, to feel invisible at age 40 when you're a healthy person with a satisfying career and operating in the world felt really just like it's like bullshit, <laughs> <laughs> and it's bullshit for everyone, really. Like, I think a lot of people actually
2: don't agree with you, and it's it's
0: horrific. Yeah, we'll see. Early days. <laughs> 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 I've been on Goodreads every once in a while. And I'm like, oh,
2: thanks for the one star. No, yeah. <laughs> just just experience like the real time right. affirmation. Right. Of okay. hey, thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: want to come talk about process here yeah yeah yeah, sure um well thank you guys very much for coming Uh, one more time for glennison you've
0: been listening to the skylight books author reading series don't forget you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com thanks again for stopping by and we hope to see you soon